gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host, and... Um, I guess this is our second episode in the new year, uh, although this is the first time you and I are recording, Rachel, <laughs> for the new year, because we had that one recorded. So we're we're kind of doing a series within a series. I kind of feel like with what we started last week with law and gospel. And, you know, it's funny. This is actually a question, a topic of conversation very often in the group. Well, which laws do we obey? And I think... I think it's important to understand kind of how the law is split up and what the purpose of the law is. Uh, I, my next door neighbor, uh, a Mormon, came over one day and, you know, they have a lot of legalism and crazy beliefs in Mormonism. And she said, I, I don't understand if you believe that in this justification by faith alone, then why do you obey? And which is a great question, and that's one of the things we'll be talking about today. So let's go ahead and start with the types of law. I, I should say, if you haven't listened to last week, go listen to last week first, because I think it's an important kind of introduction and foundation to what we're talking about this week. Last week, we talked about law and gospel, but let's start with the types of law. And Rachel, you can kind of kick that off. Um, generally speaking, we talk about uh, the law in the, in the Bible, particularly the law from the Old Testament. Um, most of the reform guys divide it into three types. There's the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. And the civil law um, are the laws that govern the nation of Israel. And when I say the nation of Israel, I mean the the ancient um, the ancient government, not the the modern nation of Israel, and these laws cover things like inheritance and property and legal disputes, what punishments there should be for crimes, uh, for example, um, you know stoning, uh, 
um, for adultery and other crimes, what constituted murder, where it was intentional versus an unintentional manslaughter, uh, what to do about Sabbath breaking. And you see these civil laws, especially in, um, in Leviticus, there's a lot of the laws are there. Um, and these laws, when we talk about, as we go on, when we talk about um, their uses for us as believers and whether or not they apply to us as believers, what we would say is that these laws were fulfilled in Christ, who kept all the law without sin. And they were, these laws ended when um, the ancient civil government of Israel ended. You know, one of the things that uh, we also get questions about is um, things like theonomy and Hebrew roots. And you said most people right. in in our reform circles split the law up in this way or or even say what you said fulfilled in Christ because we see in theonomy um, a hope to return to some of these civil laws don't we oh sure there are, I've, I've seen discussions about guys who talk about wanting to return to um, the Old Testament punishments for various uh, various laws including uh, Sabbath breaking and adultery. Right. And then the ceremonial laws you'll see with the Hebrew roots movement or even some, you know, Messianic Jews and stuff. So the ceremonial laws would be like the animal sacrifices um, and temple worship and things that set them apart as, as God's people. If you read in Leviticus, you'll see a lot of, of different sorts of things. You'll see things for um, cleanliness and uh Things, even things like um, what you're to eat or not eat um, specifically. And those two we see as being fulfilled in Christ. There's no more sacrifices. All of these things pointed forward to Christ, and those things are no longer necessary. That's why we, we can eat pork now, for instance. Right, and that's one of the questions that comes out a lot, especially with non-believers and they'll say, well, you believe in the Ten Commandments, you know, why don't you also believe in um, the laws that say, you know, don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish, you know, the these various things, What what's the difference? And, you know, this is what the difference is. Yeah, because the Ten Commandments we would call the moral law. That's, that is the, what we are still called to obey. Right. So, the Ten Commandments, um, which are laid out a couple of places, including in Exodus, um, have the, they call the two tables of the law, which are um, what duty we owe to God and what our duty is to man. So how we live uh, and relate to God and how we relate to others. The reason we look to the Ten Commandments, if you look at in the Shorter Catechism, the question is asked, you know, where is the moral law comprehended? Where is it that we learn about it? And the answer is that the moral law is comprehended in the Ten Commandments. So, the Ten Commandments give us a picture of what it is to obey God and to so love God, love your neighbor. Right? Um, these continue today. These the moral law because they are based on the character of God, which doesn't go away. Um, and we see them again in the New Testament, where in the New Testament you have various places that illustrate or explicitly tell us that the civil laws and the ceremonial laws um, have been done away with. You see Peter being shown 
the unclean animals and told to eat them. And Paul rejects circumcision, the circumcision party, and he gives instructions about uh, that we should obey the civil laws of our governments as long as they don't uh, contradict God. But the moral law, the things that are in the Ten Commandments are reiterated throughout the New Testament. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. We see it throughout the Gospels and in Paul's letters, the various things that we are called to do um, as Christians. And uh, there's a quote, and we'll have some of these articles in the, the notes from the show, but there's an article by Guy Waters where he says, the moral law, in fact, goes back to creation. It is the standard to which God holds all human beings in all times and all places. Humans may not like or properly keep the moral law, but they know it, and they know that God holds them accountable to it. Well, and if you think about even the laws of our land, it, you see a lot of laws against things in the second table of the law. So, murder and stealing and such are um, punished. And exactly. You don't necessarily see anything against the first table of the law, but the second table. So, what one of the things, I, there's an article on Heidelblog, which I'll include, where he talks about the ceremonial and civil laws pointed upward to heaven and forward to Christ, and which I think is a helpful way to think about it. And then, as Rachel was talking about loving God and loving neighbor, and that, that really is the Ten Commandments summed up, which we see. And as we, we get into talking about um, what use the law has for us as believers, just because the ceremony and civil laws uh, have been fulfilled in Christ uh, and that they pointed forward to Christ, there are still things that we can can learn from them as believers about uh, God's character, about the nature of, of, of how we should treat others, about, um, about life. There's many things that we can learn from in studying them, they, they are useful to us. But the ones that we would say still apply in terms of what we are called to obey uh, is uh, only what's in the moral law. Right. And, you know, if you're, you'll even in some sermons, um, when your pastor might be preaching through some of that, and you'll see how some of that points to Christ. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, we're going to move on to the usefulness of the law. And I think there's so much misunderstanding when we don't understand correctly the, the why of the law. Actually, let me say that sometimes these are ordered differently. So you may see them ordered in different ways. And so how they're ordered isn't necessarily set in stone. But the first one we're going to talk about is the, the civil use of the law. So it restrains sin and, you know, we sometimes talk about common grace. Right, and that's, that's what we're talking about, um, that the moral law goes back to creation. This is what is written on our hearts, is what we know, you know, that there is a God, we should worship Him, we know that we shouldn't murder, we know it's not right to steal, we know there are things that we know, even in different cultures, this is, we know some basic things about um, how to live and how to treat other people. And by God's grace, um, he uses that to restrain sin. Um, so when we talk about you know total depravity, which is of course something that uh, as reformed believers that we think is true, that we uh, that sin affects all of our our lives or all aspects of our life. It doesn't mean that our society and the people around us are as bad as as we could be. 
and God is gracious in restraining sin um, and protecting us from as bad as we could be. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes, well, I think actually within explaining the doctrines of grace within the tulip, sometimes the descriptions um, people may not uh, understand exactly what they mean, and that's that's one of them. Uh, so one of uh, that we'll spend a little bit of time in is the pedagogical use of the law, and. So one of the things this does is act as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So the law shows us our sin and our need for Christ. That's one of the important uses of the law. And I'll give a couple verses to that. And um, Romans 3.20, Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then Heidelberg Catechism, and really Heidelberg Catechism is a great is a is a great thing to look to on this subject because it's split up into guilt, grace, and gratitude. Uh, and it says, "Whence knowest thou sin and misery? Out of the law of God." So the law shows us how we fall short and shows us our sin and our need for Christ. Yeah, I like the. There's a quote from R.C. Sproul, and this is another article that we'll link. It says that the law reveals the character of God. It provides a mirror to reflect to us our unholiness against the ultimate standard of righteousness. Um, we know what sin is because we know what God, what God's righteousness and His holiness is. And so anything that goes against that is sin, right? And so He is the standard. And it is important to remember that we do have an ultimate standard, especially in our our modern relativistic, well, you know, whatever works for you, you know, there really is a standard of righteousness, a standard of, of right and wrong that we can point to. Well, and, and the, and this use of the laws will often be called a mirror, like what mm-hmm. Sproul is, is saying there. The, the third use of the law that we're going to talk about is, is often called normative. Um, and what it means is this is what teaches us and what instructs us as believers uh, to live in godliness, how, how to obey God. Um, for example, in Ephesians 2.10, we read, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And in the article that I quoted already from R.C. Sproul, he also says, uh, in summarizing Calvin's teaching on these three uses, The law reveals to us what is pleasing to God. And, it says, Christians are not under the old covenant and its stipulations, yet at the same time we are called to imitate Christ and to live as people who seek to please the living God. And Heidelberg Catechism is, again, like I said earlier, is a good, is a good thing. when it, The gratitude section is what we're talking about right here. Um, and I'll read Heidelberg Catechism too. How many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die happily? Three things. The first, how great my sin and misery are, m- misery is. The second, how I'm redeemed from all my sins and misery. The third, how I am to be thankful to God for such redemption. And that's what we're talking about here, how we're to be thankful to God for such redemption. I thought it was really interesting. Um, another article that we, we linked is from a Q&A uh, on the OPC website. 
and it talks about the Heidelberg and about, you know, we've said here and other places that it can be divided into guilt, grace, and gratitude, um, or apparently also sin, salvation, and service. And it points out that the Ten Commandments are discussed not under sin or guilt, um, but under the gratitude or service section. And the article says it's, it's not only true that the Ten Commandments show us our sin and guilt, but they also show us how to live grateful lives of service to God for His grace shown to us in our salvation. In no way does our following the law contribute to the earning of our salvation, but our being under grace does not free us from being obedient to the moral law of God. And the liberty we have in Christ is not license to commit sin, but the freedom to obey His will. Indeed, service to Christ is perfect freedom properly understood. And this is something we talked about a little bit in the last episode. Um, you know, and we'll get into this a little bit more about the difference between justification and sanctification. Um, because we believe in justification by faith alone, we believe that our work does not save us from our sin. We do not believe that we can obey the law perfectly and, and so save ourselves. But as we talk about um, in the catechisms and in, in the, the confession, especially in both Heidelberg and in the Westminster, uh, the work of the Spirit in us through in our sanctification makes us able to, uh, to obey and makes us want to obey God's Word and to want to do um, what he calls us to do. So in that way, uh, the law has a very great use in our lives as believers, and we should um, we should be thankful for it, and we should look to it to study and study about um, what our behavior should be in life. Well, I love. I still love something that you said last week, and I've thought about it so much because I loved the, the way you said it. That I think you said you learned from a um from someone a campus in, minister yeah from your campus minister mm-hmm. are we obeying to be free or are we free to obey yep struggling to be free or free to struggle right that's mm-hmm. that <laughs> yeah um and i think that that really is what we need to understand yeah and and it's it's crucial the distinction is crucial you know we're not you know to use another illustration we're not um, on little hamster wheels, struggling our best to get ahead. You know, we do more and more and we get nowhere, right? Um, we've been set free from that and we are free to obey. And he, he works in our hearts to make us want to and able to. And that's, you know, a great blessing. Even thinking about perseverance of the saints, because so often I hear from women or someone will post in the group that they're struggling and, you know, really struggling with assurance because of their struggle with sin. And we are going to continue to struggle with sin. And when we do, we need to go back and look to Christ and think maybe a temptation to look inside of ourselves for assurance instead of outside of ourselves to Christ. What is the, I'm, I'm not going to mess the quote up because I don't have it off my head, top of my head perfectly, but there's something about for every one look to ourselves, it's what, 10 looks to Christ. There's, it's something like that. It's one of the, probably a Puritan. But, um, but yeah, so the point being that it, when we become too introspective and look too closely and only at ourselves, we forget and we can despair. Um, so when we, when we do rightly look at our sin, and we should, we have to remember to look to Christ and remember what He has done for us. And we should spend more time focusing on Him and what He has done for us um, 
than in, in morbid introspection. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, even within Protestantism, there are even some theologies or pastors that end up teaching to look to ourselves for assurance. Mm -hmm. And uh, boy, that can be crushing. Because I think also the, the more we draw to Christ, the more we see our sin. And so sometimes we feel like, am I really being sanctified? But really we're seeing Christ's holiness more and seeing our sin more. The quotes from McShane, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. Um, live near to Jesus and all things will appear little to you in comparison with eternal realities. That's a great quote. Mm. A good reminder too. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about the law in the life of us as believers. A lot of times, um, even though those, the usefulness of the law, the uses of the law can be ordered differently, a lot of times you will hear talk of the third use of the law. And what people are generally speaking of in that is with the Heidelberg Catechism, that section of the Heidelberg Catechism, the gratitude, the living in obedience. And there's often a lot of discussions um, you can even see throughout church history or even in Romans. Uh, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be. But sometimes there's this back and forth between legalism and antinomianism where you have legalists that think, well, if you don't emphasize the law enough, then you're going to end up in antinomianism. And in the antinomianism camp, you know, well, if you emphasize the law in the wrong way, or not even necessarily in the antinomianism camp in general, if you emphasize the law in the wrong way, you're going to end up in legalism. So it's important to have, it's important to correctly understand how exactly the law fits in. Mm -hmm to the life of the believer. You know, as we, as we mentioned, um, you know, all of the old covenant law was fulfilled in Christ. Um, what we see is that um, the civil and ceremonial laws in particular uh, were done away with in that fulfillment. There's no need for uh, the cleanliness laws and the sacrifice, sacrificial system of the temple um, Christ has fulfilled that for us um, and completed the, their use, the purpose of them. Um, but the moral law continues over into the New Covenant. And we see in the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, it talks about um, how God gave the law. And it says, you know, the, the judicial laws expired with the state, um, with Israel, the uh, ceremonial laws um, are done away with under the New Testament, but it says the moral law does forever bind all as well as justified persons as others to the obedience thereof. So we are, we are still called to obey um, the law as summarized in the Ten Commandments in the moral law. One of the people that's really great on this subject is John Fonville, and uh, we're going to have him on again uh, Lord willing, coming up soon to talk about something that fits into this discussion. But Rachel has um, isolated some quotes from him, which we can include in the episode notes, and I'll read one of them. The Reformed Confessions teach that the pedagogical second use of the law never disappears. Question, 
115 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why then does God want them preached so pointedly? Here's the answer. First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sin and righteousness. Likewise, the Westminster Confession of Faith states that the second use of the law remains of great use to the believer. The law helps believers to discover the sinful pollutions of their nature, hearts, and lives, so as examining themselves, thereby they may come to further conviction of humiliation for and hatred against, together with a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Uh, such a great quote. I'll have it in the episode notes if it was hard to follow there, so you can read it, but it's a really great reminder. Um. Another thing that he writes, or John Von Bell writes, is that the three uses of the law are always present in the believer's life. However, these three uses do not function the same. To begin with, for unbelievers, the second use, the pedagogical use of the law is primary, and the normative or third use of the law doesn't even apply. For believers, that third use, the normative use, is of the law is primary. In this sense, the law functions as a rule of life, guide of gratitude, providing the norms for the Christian life. And something that we'll get into more with with John when we talk to him, he writes that the law as a rule of life should be preached to guide believers in their gratitude. However, the law must never be preached to believers as a condition of life, i.e. a covenant of works, do this or live, and live or else be cursed. So when when the law is preached in preach to us as believers, it continues to show us our sin. And our need for Christ. Yes, and our, our and our need for Christ. But it doesn't condemn us in the way it would had we not been in Christ. Um, okay. It should be a reminder to us to look to Christ and to remember what Christ has done for us. One of the things we've talked about in the past is that the gospel is for us too. Sometimes I feel like in some churches, they preach the gospel. Okay, you got that over with. Now we're going to just preach the law. But we need to be reminded of the gospel. When That's why we talk about both law and gospel, that we need both of them. And there's a good article by R. Scott Clark called, Are Believers Under the Law as a Schoolmaster? That's a helpful article, which I'll include in the episode notes. We're not in that normative use, we're not going to do that perfectly. And it should encourage us to look back to Christ. Right. And that's, you know, we talked about that's the, the section of the Heidelberg uh, summarized as gratitude, right? That our life of obedience is out of gratitude. It's not out of fear. It's not out of a sense of if we don't do it, God will destroy us. It's done out of love for God and out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Um, that we are called to and enabled to serve him. Yeah, we shouldn't live in despair when we fail to obey. And we will. (laughs) Yeah, right. We will fail to obey, but we should be reminded of what Christ has done for us. I take a lot of comfort from Paul calling himself the chief of sinners. Right. Right. You know, it's, you know, Paul who had a much, had an amazingly close walk with God, 
right? Who knew the Savior in a way that, you know, that few few got to know him, right? But he calls himself the chief of sinners. He recognizes himself as, you know, still very much in need of God's grace and and a recognition of the indwelling sin in his life. And a, a, as a, a believer, it's very comforting to know that Paul felt that way. I think ultimately what's helpful in understanding this, if you're somebody out there that's struggling with this, um, and I know there's a lot struggling with assurance because you think, I don't know if I obey enough, you know, for whatever reason. I think ultimately what's helpful to understand is understanding justification and sanctification. For us as believers, wanted to read what is justification from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. We we don't have some sort of thing where our slate is wiped clean at conversion, and now we've got to work to keep it clean. That's not how it works. He pardons all of our sins. He imputes his righteousness to us. And I heard uh, something at a conference once where people will talk about justification as just as if I never sinned. And the conference speaker said, it's more than that. It's Mm -hmm. just as if I never sinned and as if I've always obeyed perfectly. Mm -hmm. That that's why the imputation of Christ's act of obedience is so important. Yeah, and you know, as we talked about the struggling to be free, free to struggle, because we have been set free, because we have been pardoned of our sin. Um, you know, the the shorter catechism also says teaches us what is sanctification, and the answer is sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live under righteousness. And this is a lifelong process. You know, it doesn't, or, you know, justification is, um, you know, a particular moment in time that it's a one-time thing. Sanctification is a process that lasts the whole life of the believer and will look different in the life of every believer. What what that process looks like and where you are in that process. Um, But we know that as believers, we have been justified and we are being sanctified. And one day, either if Christ returns or we, we die before then, we will be glorified and we will never sin again. And he has promised that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, right? He will not fail. And we can trust in that, even as we walk through our sanctification and the highs and lows of our life and the, you know, the valleys and the mountaintops where we, times we think we're obeying well and times we know we're struggling. And in all of that, the Spirit is at work in us to um, make us more and more like Christ. I love the um, Westminster Shorter Catechism on Sanctification. Mm-hmm. And if this is something you're struggling with, that's a, a great um, thing to memorize because sanctification is a work of God's free grace. He is sanctifying us. We're not sanctifying ourselves with our good works. He is sanctifying us and our good works are the fruit of His work in us. And I'm so comforted by that because it really is all of Christ. It's not dependent a little bit on me here. 
And, you know, as we've talked about this here, and we talked in the last time about the, the distinctions between the law and the gospel, what distinguishes us from both legalism or neonomianism and, and antinomianism is that we do not look to the law to make us right with God, right? But we also recognize that there is a use for the law in teaching us how to obey and how to serve God, right? And so, you know, despite, um, you know, the, the criticisms that are, are often lobbied against us, you know, we are not uh, antinomians and we are not legalists in, in our use of the law. And I, d- I just realized antinomianism might be a new word for some people. Mm, true. I threw and, in neonomianism too, sorry. Yeah, that's true. So antinomianism, it means anti-law. And so these are people who deny what we were talking about in the third use of the law. So it's kind of like, well, Christ has died for all of that. Um, so I can continue in sin. And Paul answered that. I mentioned it earlier in the episode. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be. And so that's what we're talking about with antinomianism. Maybe you could mention what neonomianism is. Well, neonomianism or legalism is the is the idea that um, that the law has a place in or in our keeping of the law has a place in our um, being right with God, right? And either in um, our justification or in our, some would say, in our, our final salvation, that our good works are are part of earning or uh, assuring our salvation. And you, know, the, you talked about how the gospel is for, for all of us, and I've seen both uh, errors in talking about the law and the gospel, where there are those who say, and talking about the antinomian view of it, where, you know, the law may drive you to Christ, but, you know, as we're believers, then we only need the gospel, and there's no use for the law in our lives. Um, and then the other side I've also seen is that, you know, the gospel is for sinners, for those who, and those who have not yet come to faith, they need to hear the gospel. But those of us who are believers, we need to hear the law so that we um, can be, you know, whipped into shape and kept obe- obedient. And both of those are a, a misuse of the law and the gospel. Um, as, we've, as we've discussed here, believers have a need for the law and it has a use in our lives. And we all need the gospel daily. And I, I really think that if you don't have a correct understanding of one, you won't have a correct understanding of the other. Certainly. So, for instance, this sometimes you hear of a free grace theology that's all about the gospel. Well, you can't correctly understand the gospel without correctly understanding the law. And Absolutely. so, both are necessary. That's why we started with last week talking about law and gospel, because we need both of them to correctly understand even the gospel. Right. We either end up underestimating the uh, the gravity of our sin, right? Where we diminish, you know, how awful it is and how we need a savior, right? Or we underestimate the the work of God's grace, where we we look at, well, yes, God saved us, but we still need to do all this, right? So either way, you know, we have misunderstood. Um, both the law and the gospel, both our 
our sin and our need for a savior and our, or sorry, our sin and need for a savior and the, the freedom that we have in Christ um, if we don't rightly understand the two. Yeah. And I would say even the same thing about justification and sanctification mm-hmm. is correctly understanding both of those and the law and gospel in relation to each of those mm-hmm. is so important just for the Christian life in general. So hopefully this was helpful. Um, we're going to talk about antinomianism and neonomianism in more detail on another episode because I know those are kind of hot button topics right now. And a lot of times I'll see this on social media all the time where someone will accuse someone of antinomianism, accuse someone of legalism, and sometimes very inappropriately. It's kind mm-hmm. of like if you're if you're not as legalistic as me, then I'll call you an antinomian. And if you're not as antinomian as me, I'll call you a legalist. Um, and so it, it's important to correctly and understand and correctly use those terms because they're both things that are not biblical. Yeah, I would go so far as to say we we have a tendency, and this gets into some of the, the stuff that Jerry Bridges has done on sin, um, but we have a tendency to be um, legalists about the sin, the sins and things that we don't struggle with. And we tend to be antinomians about the sins that we do. Um, but those, those are our tendencies. That's um, a good point. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, you, we look at these things, these things that I struggle with, they're not that bad and it's really not a big deal, but those things that I don't struggle with that that person over there struggle with, those are really bad ones. And that's, it's, it's our, our tendency to compare ourselves with others instead of comparing ourselves with Christ. Yeah, and I think that's just a natural thing that we do and should guard ourselves from. So, mm-hmm. well, I hope this was helpful. And there's going to be a lot, I have a lot of resources for the episode notes if this is something that you're wanting to understand, especially in, in regards to um, the types of law and the uses of the law. So, we will see you next week. <laughs>